You know, before we jump into the message this morning, I just, the Lord has just put something on my heart this week, and, and uh, last night just got to the point where I just knew I had to say something today. You know, Pastor Chris and I have had a conversation recently, and he said something to me that just lit a fire in my heart. And he said to me that, you know, he's our discipleship pastor, and he's working, he's mentoring people and, and doing all the things. I didn't even know you were there until I just looked up, and I was like, I'm talking about you. Um, but uh, he's amazing. Uh, I was going to say that. <laughs> I was going to say that already. Um, but we were talking, and he said, you know what? I see in this next generation, a generation of people that are coming up, and they've seen all the mistakes that we've made uh, in our generations. They've seen the, the choices that we've made, and they've seen the life it's kind of led to and how it's played out, whether it's in their parents' lives or in the lives of people in that generation ahead of them. And they don't want to make those decisions. They don't want to live that life. And they are looking for, for a biblical answer. And that just lit a fire in me because I just want to believe that with my whole heart. And I just was thinking, well, in January, we need to do something, you know. And this week as I was praying, the Lord said, no, uh, you need to say something this Sunday. And so, you know, I talked to Chris and Derek and Robbie, and these are all the people who kind of work with this age group. But I just want to say to you, if you're between the ages of 18 and 32... And you want to enter into some conversations with some people. You know, something that all of us agreed on was that nobody wants anything pushed down their throat. Nobody wants to be judged. That's not what this is about. But this is about you have some honest questions about how you want to live your life. Maybe you have some honest questions about the Bible. And you want to say, hey, how does this work? How do I live like Jesus lived? And, and not in a way where us, we're telling you, but, but in a way where we're trying to help you answer the questions for yourself. And if that's you and you say, you know what, I just need, I need something a little deeper, I need something a little more personal, then reach out to one of us. Reach out to me or, or Chris or Robbie or, or Derek and uh, let us know. You can't scan the QR code in front of you because this was just like spur of the moment, kind of. This was supposed to be January, but I just felt the need to say it uh, today. Uh, so there's no kind of formal way to sign up. You just have to see one of us, okay? Okay. Um, yeah, yes, so got that out. So, you know, we, we do have our song, right? It's message in a, in a bottle is the song. And if you read those lyrics, I, I think you just change just a little bit and you get to a really good message. And one of the lyrics we change is say message in a body. You know, Jesus came. You know, Jesus could have done so many different things and communicated to us in so many different ways. And I got to tell you, if I was him, I probably would have chosen one of the other ways. I mean, he's on his throne, Right ultimate, like eternal God experiences no pain, has ultimate power, and yet he chooses to come down and be born as a baby to be vulnerable, to experience the human condition. It's, it's a little miserable sometimes. Okay. All right. Just checking, right? I mean, if your life is like perfect, then we can talk after service and uh, you can tell me all of your secrets. It's a little miserable. Like you feel pain. It's emotional, mental, physical pain and, and all the struggles of this life. And Jesus signed up for that. He chose to come down, to step down out of his power, to empty himself of his power and to experience the human condition. Like why did he do it? That's the question we want to answer during this series. Why did he do it? And of course, the answer is because he loved you and me. He loved us. We make sometimes decisions that other people think are dumb because of love, don't we? Have you ever made a dumb love decision? And people looking from the outside and they're like, man, why'd you do that? Well, looking on the outside in, doesn't you look at Jesus, you're like, why did you do that? He's like, well, I love these people. I love them. And so he comes, and we talked last week about the fact that he came, and even though he's all-powerful, even though he's God, he said he came to serve us. Like, how humbling is that? 
You know, I mean, I think about my life, and when I pray, I'm thinking about serving God, and I'm thinking about all I can do, you know, for him, which I know ultimately is not much, but I want to do all I can for him. And what about Jesus looking you back in the eye and saying, I'm here to serve you. How can I help you? And I'm just like, I, I don't know. I'm still just a little uncomfortable. But, man, that's what he said, and that's what he came to do. You know, Jesus came to strengthen us. Again, we talked about this last week. You know, usually when somebody in power in our life, they want us to use our resources to make them more powerful and better, right? Like your boss or somebody, like they're in your life, and they're like, hey, what can you do for me and make this better and make, you know, this pour, you pour out you to make us better. But Jesus says, no, I came here to strengthen you. I came here to serve you and to strengthen you. And, man, we rejoice in this Savior. It's incredible. Jesus came to change our lineage. You know, we're born as children of Adam and Eve, and we're born with a sin nature. And we're born separated from God. Our spirit is dead. And Jesus came not just to, not just to wipe away our sins. And I say that, and it's okay. All right, you know, it's a big deal, right? But he came to change our lineage. No longer, if we've accepted Christ, no longer am I a descendant of Adam, but now I am a co-heir with Jesus. I have been, you know, Scripture describes John 3, born again into, and now I'm no longer, he's changed my lineage. I'm no longer a descendant of Adam, no longer bound by sin to be judged by my sin, but instead, as I believe in Christ, my lineage is I'm a co-heir with Jesus. I belong to him. I'm part of his family. And only Jesus could do that. And he comes down here in order to do that. He Amen. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You know, there was a brother that came up to me at the end of last service, I think, or last week, and he said, he, I think he was visiting, and he came up and he said, there was one time I just wanted to yell out, woo-hoo, and I could hardly hold myself, contain myself. And I'm like, brother, don't contain yourself. I need all the woo-hoos I can get. Woohoo! Right? Man, I mean, Jesus came to serve you and strengthen you and change your lineage. And somebody just walks up and just randomly throws out Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Man, Jesus came to serve me and to strengthen me and to change my lineage. Merry Christmas. There's a weight to it when I understand why he came and what was his motivation. But you know, these are reasons to celebrate. And this morning I want to talk about another reason to celebrate. But this reason to celebrate makes us a little uncomfortable sometimes. Because we cannot look at the teachings in the life of Jesus and not realize that part of the reason that he came was to address our eternal existence. To address the issues of heaven and hell. And you know, heaven is pretty easy to talk about, right? Uh, everybody, uh, surveys show us that almost 90% of Americans believe in heaven uh, everybody thinks they're going to heaven. Everybody that, that they know that died has gone to heaven, and uh, they think that that's the truth, right? Now, if you talk about the other side of it, if you talk about hell, only 59% of Americans believe in hell. And it's interesting how, you know, I don't know, but they figured it out somehow. And, uh, and so they, they don't b believe in hell, and nobody thinks that they're going to hell. And uh, nobody thinks that, that in a certain sense that hell is real, and so we could talk about heaven, and Jesus talked a lot about heaven, but when we start talking about hell, we get uncomfortable. But how do we, when we look at Jesus, and we say, well, why did he come? Why did he make that, at least from the outside, kind of a dumb decision, like to leave his power, to leave his glory, to empty himself, to become a human being, to come down here and to suffer and to die for us? Why? And, and, and when we see his teachings, and if you look at what's coming out of his own mouth, heaven and hell, was a huge part of that. And so 
you know, I, I say to you, you know, we're going to talk about hell today, and, and I hope that you're still glad you came. Um, but I, oh, thank you. You're a real one. Um, I, I, but I know that at the end today that when you say Merry Christmas and when you say joy to the world, that it's going to have a little bit more uh, depth to it today. So I want us to begin at 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 9, and it says this. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. In Luke chapter 16, verses 19 through 31, Jesus tells us a story. And if you look at this scripture, it does not say it's a parable. It does not say like, so that it's like a metaphor. But instead, Jesus tells us in a way that he's telling a story like he knows this uh, as a story that, that he's witnessed. And he says this, the words of Jesus. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. The time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried in Hades, where he was in torment. He looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this fire. But Abraham replied, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things, while Lazarus received bad things. But now he is comforted here and you are in agony. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been set in place, so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. He answered, Then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my family, for I have five brothers. Let him warn them so that they will not also come to this place of torment. Abraham replied, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. He said to him, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced, even if someone rises from the dead. Revelation chapter 20, starting at verse 11, and then we're going to read down through Revelation 21.4. And it says this, John speaking, he says, Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. The earth and the heavens fled from his presence, and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead and they were, that were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. And each person was judged according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. Anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them, with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. Let's pray together. Father, as we come on this morning, God, we, 
desire to hear your word and to be encouraged and to be strengthened. Father, as we look into some heavy things today, God, I pray, Lord, that you would show us, God, the the way to rejoice and show us, God, the path of peace. Lord, we are thankful, Lord, that you tell us the truth and that you lead us in that truth. We desire for you to lead us, and we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. You know, we moved into this building in this last April. I don't know if this is maybe your first Sunday here or you haven't been coming long. And uh, we just moved in uh, to this building in April. And it came after many, many years of planning uh, and preparation. Uh, In fact, the day we broke ground, it was like a victorious day because we had been planning for so many years and working toward that moment. And as we broke ground, we began the process of doing all the work that has to happen in the ground. Uh, If you don't know about buildings, there's a whole lot of plumbing and electrical work and concrete, just layers of concrete that go into the ground, and they just dig these holes, and they put concrete, and then they cover it up, and they do it over and over and every day, and that was such a stressful time because, you know, when things go wrong in that season, like it has effects that are wide-ranging, and it was so stressful, and and, and, you know, to be fair, you couldn't see a lot, but I would have people come up to me in those, you know, days and say, you know, after years of planning and everything and, and months of work and so much stress that had gone into it, and people walk up to me and they would say, when are we going to get started? <laughs> and I didn't punch a single one of them in the face. <laughs> and nobody, nobody showed up and said, Jason, I'm so proud of you for not punching those people in the face. And and, and, I, and I would say, you know, something like, well, any day now, uh, we're going to get started. But, you know, the, the, the truth is that those, those foundational things, they're, they're, not, they're not really, you know, exciting. Those foundational things, they aren't, you know, something to really make you hoot and holler or woohoo, uh, you know, but those foundational things are required for everything that's built on it. Everything that we see that comes up out of the ground is, is there and able to stand because of all the things that are in the foundation. That's what makes, you know, if you're happy about something in this building, it's probably the chocolate mousse. But if you're happy about something in this building, it, it's standing on that foundation that you can't see, that nobody was super excited about. And, you know, there's foundational truths in the gospel. There's foundational truths of God. And sometimes it's not really easy to be excited about them. You know, you don't look at that and go, woohoo, you know, and get super excited about it. But there are things that are true. And the truth is that God has created us, and he's created us to live this one life and then to die. And then at the end of that, he's going to, we're going to be evaluated based on the decisions that we made while we were alive. Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 27 through 28, it says this. It says, and as it is appointed for men to die once. And, you know, there are religions uh, around that think that we just die multiple times, right? You know, that we die and we come back and whatever, but that's not the teaching of the Bible. The Bible says, and as it is appointed for men to die once, but after you die, the judgment. So Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many. To those who eagerly wait for him, he will appear a second time apart from sin. He's not dealing with sin anymore. He's coming for salvation. You see, Jesus looked ahead, and he saw us standing at that point where we were going to be judged, and he said, listen, I don't want them to stand alone. Listen, look at this scripture. It says, appointed for us to die and to face the judgment, so Christ, so Christ. What did he do? He looked, and he saw us in that judgment. He saw us in that place, and each and every one of us are descendants of Adam, and each and every one of us are sinners, and he saw us in that judgment. 
And he said, listen, I'm not going to leave them there alone. I'm not going to leave them to face the burden of their sins, but instead I'm going to go to them. He's, he saw us. He knows us. We were appointed once to live and then at the end to, to face the judgment. Bring, me, bring, me, bring it back up for me, brother. Bring it back up. Give it to me. So Christ. So Christ. This is Merry Christmas. This is why we rejoice. This is why we celebrate because he saw us there. And we were going to face that judgment alone. We were going to deal with our own. And I know Michelle says that when I get excited, I repeat myself. And I realize I'm repeating myself. But I think it's worth repeating. He saw us alone and said, no. So Christ. So Christ came. So Christ came. And we rejoice in Jesus. And as we listen to him and we hear him talk, we hear him talk of this judgment, and we see him saying, I came to address this topic. You know, the Bible talks about hell 162 times, 162 times that the whole Bible talks about hell. Jesus accounts for 70 of those times, 70 out of 162, 43% of the times that hell is talked about in the Bible, it's Jesus who brings it up. Jesus, who was only on the earth and teaching for 36, he was on the earth for 33 years, he was teaching for 36 months of that. And in this, he, he has 70 times he brings up the topic of hell. I know I grew up in a church that seemed to talk about hell every single Sunday, right? And I couldn't wait to honestly be not there anymore. <laughs> Man, Pastor Sam's coming back. <laughs> He's coming to give me a <laughs> Not allowed to say that. Um, but I mean, and Jesus talks about heaven 84 times. And it's like in, in these 36 months, like, and you think about how many, you know, how many times did he teach? How many times do we have? And yet in those times, he's, he's so consumed and, 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 and talking. And it, it makes sense that this is why he came, because he realized that we were facing this judgment. He realized the gravity of this judgment, the gravity of these decisions. And he said, I'm not going to let them be alone in that. And he came to teach us about these things and to speak into these things. Now, if you ever dig into the topic of hell, I want you to know that hell is not a, a word that's found in any of the biblical languages. In fact, the biblical languages use these words. They use Sheol and Gehenna. In fact, Gehenna, Sheol is the main word in the Old Testament. Gehenna is the main word that Jesus used. And then Hades, Jesus also used that some. And then Tartarus is a word that's used only one time and found in 2 Peter. But these are the words that, that describe hell. And John Wycliffe, when he was translating the Bible into English, he borrowed a word from the Norse language uh, that described the underworld, and, and that word is hell. And, and he used that kind of as a blanket way to talk about all of these things. But if you really want to dig into it, if you read in your Bible and it says hell, then that, tr that should send a flag up for you and say, well, I know that's not a, the biblical language word for it. So what is the biblical language word and what's the connotation behind it? We have to use English words because we speak English, right? Well, most of us speak English, you know. Uh, I see you all that don't. Um, that speak two languages, three languages. And uh, us, you know, we, we're just pathetic. We speak one. And so we have to use that English word. We do the same thing with love, right? You know, and you've heard this before, that there are four Greek words that are translated love in our Bible. So that uh, agape, phileo, eros, and storge are all uh, Greek words for love, but we just have one word in English, love. So I can love my wife and I can love pancakes. And uh, I love all of those things, right? And, uh, and so we, but we have to use an English word so we get there, so just so we understand. But the word hell in our culture has basically just become a joke or a curse word, right? Uh, we, if, if we hear someone say hell, they're never talking about the hell of the Bible. They're usually saying, what the? Uh, 
are, they're saying it as a punchline. And, and there's things in our culture where, that have been communicated about hell that, that, are, that are different and wrong and, and, and to the point where they stand in contrast to what Jesus teaches us about hell. And, and this is important for us to understand because this is why he came. Like when I celebrate Christmas and I think about Christmas, I have to think part of that celebration and part of that is because he came because of heaven and hell. And so when we summarize Jesus' teachings and we take that and we put it up against culture and we say, what is the difference between what Jesus taught and what, what just random people on the street will say when they say the word hell and what they mean? You know, hell, people will tell us, is just for really bad people. But the truth is that it's the default destination for all descendants of Adam. You know, this idea, it's like, well, yeah, there's hell. I'm sure like Hitler's in hell and Stalin's in hell and child molesters are in hell and murderers are in hell, Right? And, and that's kind of what I mean by hell. But the truth is, according to the scriptures, that hell is the default destination for all descendants of Adam. And guess what? That's all of humanity. It's all of us. Apart from Christ, we are all descendants of, of Adam. And, and, and sin is a big deal. And, and it's easy to, you know, we tend to think about ourselves. Like I said, nobody kind of thinks about hell and thinks, yeah, I'm probably going to hell, right? If they do, they, they, they just are, 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 are saying something they don't mean. But we have a tendency to think that our sins aren't a big deal. And like, well, my sins, I mean, you know, I haven't done any of the, those really bad things, right? No genocide, none of those, those really bad things. My sin's not a big deal. But I want to challenge you to think about Adam and Eve and think about the sin that they committed and how relatively small that sin was. How long do you think it took? I'm of the opinion that the, that the enemy was actually talking to Eve for a very long time and persuading her. I don't think it was a, a one-off conversation. I think he persuaded her. But how long do you think it actually took to commit the sin that they committed. Seconds? Minutes? And, and yet the whole world is broken because of that sin? Because sin creates a domino, it creates death, and it breaks the whole world. You know, there are hurricanes and earthquakes. The scriptures tell us that the, the earth groans because of sin, because we're in it, and it groans. And where did it come from? One sin that took just a minute. We have a tendency to think, well, my sins, they're not a big deal. They don't have a big effect. I don't deserve to be punished for those. And yet sin is so offensive to the pure nature of God. God is life. Sin is death. Amen. And we know that. You know that. You've lived long enough. I, I, you've heard me say, we don't even live up to, I don't even live up to my own standard, <laughs> much less God's, right? Like, I mean, there's things I want to do. I want to wake up in the morning and work out. <laughs> I don't even live up to my own standards, right? I know. But yet one sin is so, and you know this, this is not hard for you. Imagine that somebody baked you your favorite cake. What's your favorite cake? Just call it out right now. Pistachio. I'm not with the German, but I am with the chocolate, okay? The chocolate, I love chocolate cake. And Tim and Amy, where, there's Miss Amy, right? They have just got this new red velvet recipe that's just rocking my world, okay? And like I show up to events just hoping to get some of that. Uh, cake, but I want to imagine that you have your favorite cake, and I have a dropper full of urine. And you don't ask how I got a dropper full of urine. That's none of your business. <laughs> but I come up to that cake, and I drop just one drop of urine on the cake. What, a, what is your idea of the cake now, right? Uh, I mean, well, that's a pea cake, right? <laughs> like, I... You know, and I'm like, no, but it's just, it's just one drop. I mean, you know, this is whole cake. It's like, you know, I'm like, oh, we could cut that, that part out. <laughs> no, I'm good. That's a pea cake, right? <laughs> I'm good. So we understand. I mean, even on the most base level, we understand how just a little bit taints the whole thing. 
And so, and so we look and we say, well, it, it, can't God just be content with just a little death? Are you? Are you content with just a little death? I mean, do we want a little death? No, I want, how much death do I want? I want no death. And, and, and what is heaven? Heaven has to be no death because God is pure life. And, and those things are not compatible. And, and so we think, well, hell is just for those really bad people. And God says, no, it's, it's by, you understand this already. It has to be for all descendants of Adam, those that are apart from God and apart from being washed in Christ, washed clean and accounted as righteous. Hell is a real place of conscious torment. You know, we're, we're told by culture that it's imaginary, that it's not real, but you know, hell is, is real. Jesus said it was. I mean, if you believe in Jesus, and you believe in, in, in his teachings, then Jesus approached it and talked about it as a real place. And hell, we know, was not created for us. In fact, in the scriptures that I read for you, it says that heaven was prepared for us. Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. That is heaven. Hell was prepared for the, for the enemy. And his demons that rebelled against God, having seen God to his very face and on his throne, rebelled against him, and God cast them down, and hell was prepared for them. Hell is not prepared for us, but it is a real place. And God desires with all of his heart that we would choose him so that we could enter into the place that he has prepared for us. He's, he's done everything he can short of forcing us to choose him. He has died for us, and he is pursuing us by his Holy Spirit to get us to choose him. But he will not encroach on our choice. Amen. It is your choice. It is the dignity that God created us with, and it's our choice that he gives us to choose whether we want to be with him or whether we want to be separated from him. And the truest definition of hell is to be separated from God. You know, we typically don't understand what common grace is, and so we don't understand what it means to be separated from God. But we live in a world, and the Spirit of God is in this world, and there is common grace in this world. James 1.17 describes the, part of the common grace of God. It says this, Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. Every good thing is from God. If you... If you just stopped for a moment and closed your eyes, and not, you don't have to do this right now, but just at some point, just close your eyes and try to think of every good thing in your life. Every good thing. The scriptures say that's a gift from God. So what does it mean to be separated from God? It means every good thing, everything that I like, everything that I enjoy, everything that's positive, I'm separated from that. Uh, do we even have to get to the flames? I mean, does it anything but every good thing? You know what Acts 17 says this, for in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. What is it that makes you you? I mean, you're, you're maybe you're a mother, you're a father, you're a husband, you're a wife, you're, you, you know, you, you, if, if somebody says your name, they say, oh, well, I know that person. They do this thing well. I know that person. They're always encouraging. They're always that. What, what would it be like to be separated from your being? Like you no longer are any of those things. 
It's in God, it's in his common grace that we find every good thing and we find our being and to be separated from that. Do we even have to get to the flames? Do we even have to get to these things to to recognize I'm separated from every good thing? I'm separated from my being. And Jesus describes it as being in darkness, which is the darkness of loneliness. There's no support in that place. You know, I'm a man, so if I even get a cold, I, I need desperately do need support. You know, can you help me bring me some soup? That's right. I, I need it. But, you know, I mean, she's like dying, and she's like cooking and laundry and all that stuff, right? What is it to be in a place of just loneliness? Nothing good. No being. And to be alone in it. With no hope. Do we even have to get to the flames? And yet Jesus says, in this place you can see. He tells us the story of this rich man. He says it's a, it's a story. And he says he can see to the other side. I mean, to be in that pain and that agony and to be able to see the other side. What layer, dimension does that add? He says that we can speak. The rich man speaks and says, you know, can you, can you help me? And Abraham says, even if I could, I can't. even if I wanted to, I can't. I can't. He says that we can, that we can uh, smell You know, throughout the scriptures, it describes the smell of burning sulfur, which is that rotten egg smell when you pass through certain cities and you don't want to roll the window down because you smell that rotten egg sulfur smell. And this is this is what it's like in this place. And and that place where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth and darkness is what it means to be separated from God. And as Jesus looks down, and he, the reason he comes is because he sees that to be separated from God, he sees how horrible it is, it is. And to be in the presence of God, how amazing it is. And he says, I don't want them alone in that decision. And so he comes. He comes at Christmas time for us. Our being lost to hell hurts God. God did not create us to be in hell. God does not desire us to be in hell. He created and prepared us for heaven. He wants us to be in heaven. And he desires for us to to be there with him. Now, there are people that cannot reconcile the idea of hell. And to be honest with you, it's hard. In fact, it's hard. It's really, it honestly is hard to believe in. In fact, any theologian, if you stop them and you ask them what's the most difficult doctrine, what's the most difficult belief, they'll say hell if they've thought about anything at all. And they will come right back at you and say, if I could do away with one thing, I would do away with hell. But the truth is that Jesus taught the the doctrine of hell. And Jesus put it out there. And we have to trust him. We have to trust him that in the end, there will be justice. You know, we read that scripture, and there's two books. And in in the first book, there's a record of everything that you've done and said, both good but bad too. And every thought that you've thought and every word that you've said, the scripture says that every idle word that you speak, you will give an account for. You know, I'm perfect now, but earlier in my marriage, (laughs) I I would get really, really angry and and I would say things. And and after a little while, Michelle just got this look on her face and it was just this look that said, this will pass. Because I would get angry and then I would come back to her and I would be like, I'm sorry. I didn't really mean that. Forgive me. But you know what? There's a book, and it has all of those words in it. I didn't really mean, but I said them. And it has all of my actions, and it has all of my thoughts. It has all of those things, and it's going to be read. It's going to be read for each of us. And and at the end of that, there's going to be no doubt what I deserve. I deserve to be separated from God. 
And then he says, there's another book. And it's the book of life. And he said, but when your name is written in that book of life, Jesus is standing there with you. And, and he says, I'm going to wipe out what was uh, held against your account in that other book. And your name's written in the book of life. So come. Come on my account into, into paradise, into the presence of God. And we rejoice in that. But there are some people that can't reconcile the idea of hell, the idea of eternal punishment. You know, some of those people are annihilationists. Uh, these are like Seventh-day Adventists and Jehovah's Witnesses and, and others who believe that only the righteous are resurrected. That if you're unrighteous and you're not going to go to heaven, then you're just never going to be resurrected and you're going to be annihilated. You're not going to exist anymore. But this is not what Jesus teaches us. There's the idea of purgatory. You know, this is a Catholic idea. It's taken from 2 Maccabees, which is a book in the Catholic Bible. And even if you read 2 Maccabees and accept it, you still have to twist this verse to get to purgatory. But purgatory would, would be a place where your sins are burned off of you, and it's only temporary. You only have to suffer for a period of time. But this is not what Jesus teaches us. In Matthew chapter 25 and verse 41, Jesus says this, Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed, into eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Prepared for the devil and his angels. It wasn't prepared for you. But there are not shades of gray. There's not places to be. There's only two places to be, with God or separated from God. And Jesus says, depart from me. And then in Matthew 25, verse 46, just a few verses later, he says, then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. This is God's plan. This is why he came, was for that day, so that we would not be standing alone. We would not have to face what we deserve that's written in the first book, but instead our name can be written in the book of life. The greatest truth about hell is that it is avoidable. G.K. Chesterton said this. He said, hell is God's great compliment to the reality of human freedom and the dignity of of human choice. Hell is avoidable. And God has pursued us and died for us to give us the choice to not go there, but to be with him. John 3, 16 through 18. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because of our sinful nature, because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only son. When we think about Christmas, we recognize that Jesus came because he saw that moment and didn't want us to stand alone. When I say Merry Christmas to you, I celebrate the truth of a Savior who will not force me to believe, he will not force me to do something, but he will do everything in his power, include be born as a little baby, coming off of the throne of his power, born as a child to live a sinless life and to die for me so that I will not have to face the consequences of my own actions. How amazing is this Savior. Merry Christmas. How amazing is this Savior. Joy to the world. If you're a believer here today and you've placed your faith in Christ, then this ought to add some depth to your celebration. 
When you say Merry Christmas, when you say joy to the world, it ought to be somewhere in your thinking, I deserved that agony described as hell, and yet my Savior came. Merry Christmas. If you are not a believer today, then I want to encourage you to think about this. Because Jesus, we have to take him in his totality. We can't pick and choose the things that we want. Well, I like him here, but I don't agree with him there. He was either the savior of the world or a crazy person because he claimed to be the son of God. And if you're here today and you, and you don't believe in Christ, then I just want to encourage you to think about it because the thing that what Jesus presented to us is the reality that when we die, there's two places we can be, with God or separated from God. And I think that that's something that bears thinking about. And, and you say, well, pastor, I, I'm here today. I've brought visitors today because I thought it was going to be Christmas and I thought it was going to be all happy. I'm just saying I think it's worth interrupting your Christmas to stop and think about why Jesus came, which we celebrate at Christmas and to rejoice in what he's done for us and to think hard about the truth that the Bible tells us. I, I'm just gonna say this one more time. You have to take it all or you have to leave it all. You can't just choose the parts that, that fit into the narrative that you wanna tell. God gave us the Bible and we have to take the whole thing or none of it. And so, I, I, guys, I grew, up, I grew up in this church that, I mean, every Sunday at some point there was some hellfire and brimstone and there was just a little joy in the preacher's voice, like he was happy I was going to hell. And I just hope that that's not what you get from me today. Because I, I love you. And my love for you pales in comparison to Jesus' love for you. And that's the truth be separated from God for all of eternity is something that I just want you to consider, think hard about. And when you hear Merry Christmas, that these truths will ring in your spirit, and if you're a believer, that it will bring a depth to our celebration. God, I just pray today, Lord, that, that these truths, as heavy as they are, God, would be met by your spirit inside of us. God, giving us your grace and giving us your peace. And God, that ultimately this would lead us to a place of unimaginable joy, of recognizing the sacrifice of our Savior to come and live and die for us, that we would not have to be separated from God, the loneliness of the darkness. God, but instead we could be with you, celebrate with you. God, I pray that you would lead us, Lord, in our choice. Lord, if there are those that have not believed in you, Lord, that you would do what you need to do to speak to them and, and to bring them to a place where they can make that honest choice for themselves, God, so that they can see, God, I know you pursue us. Pursue them, God, by your spirit. Lord, draw them to yourself. Call them to yourself, Lord, by the power of your spirit. I rejoice in you today, and I pray, God, your peace on these people, Lord, and ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together. Our prayer team is coming right now, and if you have something facing you this week,
you have a loved one that's sick or you're sick or facing something, maybe you have a question about salvation and a question about heaven and hell and you want to talk to somebody and pray with them, these people would love to pray with you this morning. Everybody, I'm going to dismiss. Everybody's going to head out the door. Nobody's going to be looking at you. And you can come and have a conversation and maybe do a little work with the Lord this morning before you head out. Let me pray for you. God, I pray your peace on your people as they go from this place. God, as they go about their day, Lord, that you would be with them and give them your grace and your peace as they are in their homes, that your spirit would fill their homes with peace, so much so that the people around them come and they take notice and they say, what's different about you? You just seem anchored. You just seem stable. You seem to have peace. And our answer will be, Merry Christmas. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. He's secured my future. He's given me peace. It's beyond understanding. Can I tell you about Jesus? I thank you for this peace, and I pray this blessing on your people now in Jesus.